It's great to see you today. We're on a series called 40 Days in the Word, and we're focusing on the importance of God's Word in your life. I want people to know the Bible, to study the Bible, to be growing spiritually. My desire is that we'd be the most spiritual church that we could possibly be, that we're walking with God, that we know Him in a deep way. One of the things that we're doing is we're reading two chapters every day through Luke. We've already read all of Luke. We've read all of John. That's all about Jesus's life. Then we read through most of Acts. We're now in Acts chapter 26 through 28, so it's at the very end of Acts. And that's where Paul is on his way to Rome, actually to go to prison. And then we're going to also be reading this week the first 11 chapters of Romans. And that's where Paul is writing a letter to the church in Rome before he's there. He's talking about how basically the theme is how we all fall short. No one's good enough to reach God, and that's why we need Christ. In other words, we're not good enough to reach God, but he was good enough to reach us through coming as Jesus and dying on the cross to pay off the penalty. So he's pushing faith in Christ as the answer. It's not trying to obey all the laws, all the rules in the Bible. He's saying that's just to show you that you are a sinner. You, you try to do the right thing, but you're never going to be good enough. That's why you put your faith in Christ. So that's what we're going to be studying or reading through uh, this week. So I hope that you've been reading through those books with us. If you haven't, it's not too late to start. You start reading through Luke and reading through John and then Acts and Romans. And then when you're done, continue. You don't have to just do it during the 40 days. Keep reading. Last week, I mentioned if you're going to study the Bible, there's four questions that you ask. What does it say? That's one question. I'm studying the Bible. What does it say? Second question is, what does it mean? Remember I shared, the Bible doesn't really mean what it says and says what it means. It really means what it means. How do you find out what it means? So what does it say and what does this mean? Where are other passages in the Bible that talk about this subject that can help me understand it more clearly? Because sometimes you read something and it's not clear to you, but if you read all the other things that the Bible talked about it, then it's clear. Okay, I get it now. That's easy to understand. And the most important question is, what am I going to do about it? That's the one that some people miss. They'll learn all about the Bible, but they don't apply it to their life. Of course, you have to apply it, or else what's the use? I'm wasting my time if I'm not going to put into practice what I've been learning. Today, I'm going to talk about understanding the meaning of the text. To be mature believers, we need to be able to read the Bible and understand what it means. And there's principles there that help us. You know, for example, people have said, God doesn't expect you to be successful. He expects you to be faithful. Well, is that true or not? Maybe God expects you to be faithful and he wants you to be fruitful. He wants you to succeed. Maybe God has made an investment in your life. He created you. He made you. He saved you. He put his Holy Spirit in you. And he's expecting a return. He's expecting you to do something with your life. Okay, that would actually be more biblical than saying God expects you to be faithful, but it doesn't matter if you're successful or not. He wants you to be the best you that you can be. That's what success is. Now, maybe you're defining success compared to somebody else. Okay, I don't think God's going to do that. He's not going to compare you to somebody else. But does he want you to be fruitful? Does he want you to be successful? Absolutely. The best you that you can be based on your gifts and your talents and that type of thing. So there's a lot of things that people say that sound biblical, but they're not. Today, I'm going to talk a lot about fruit. 
I'm picking up a passage in John 15, verses 1 through 17. You notice in your notes, the notes are bigger today because I have some long passages in there. But I'm going to read John 15. It says, I am the true vine, that's Jesus, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Remain in me and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, over and over, he's emphasizing that he wants you to bear fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are, are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that he laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I'm no longer calling you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. Okay, in this passage, we read a lot about fruit. I'm going to be focusing on how people misinterpret the Bible, why they misinterpret the Bible, how you can know the principle so that you would never misinterpret the Bible. Have you heard people say, well, that's your interpretation? And my interpretation is this. Let me tell you what. There are not two interpretations. There's only one meaning in the passages. It's not like I can read it and it means this to me. You read it, it means that to you. That means one of the people are wrong. Okay? Now, there's many applications. We could all read the same passage and the application to me is, it's talking about love, for example. The application to me might be, hey, I need to do such and such to show that I'm really a loving person. And you might come up with a different application. You read the same passage, and you're focusing on the fruit. And you might say th things like, I need a life that's more fruitful, so I'm going to do this with my life. The application, 100 people can read it and have 100 different applications, 100 different ways of what they're going to do about what they read. But there's only one meaning in the passages. So how do we know if we have the correct meaning or the incorrect meaning? How do we know if we're understanding if I'm interpreting things legitimately or illegitimately? This is how cults get started. Cults ignore the rules of interpreting. They read a verse and that's what it means to them and they teach it and they come up with crazy, weird ideas. They're violating principles in scripture. I want you to be somebody that you can hear it and know enough about how to interpret things that you're not led astray by silly things that people say. Okay, so I'm going to give you an example. John 15, 6, from the passage that I just read, it says this. 
If anyone doesn't remain in me, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. I've heard pastors take that verse and say, you remain in Christ or you're going to hell. That's what they're getting out of that. Okay? And listen to it. It sounds like that. If anyone doesn't remain in me, it's talking about Christ. If you don't remain in Christ, he's like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. Now, if you take that verse by itself, it's pretty clear. Stick with God or you're going to hell. But is that what it really means? I want us to see what the Bible is really saying here. Here's some basic rules of interpretation. You take one verse out by itself, it can mean lots of things. Number one, consider the historical context. What's the context historically about what's happening? In other words, before I understand what God's saying to me, what did Jesus mean when he was saying this to somebody else? What did he actually mean? I want to know the who, what, when, where, why, and how before I can interpret what it means. Because at first glance, it can sound like one thing. You read it in context, and it might be talking about something so different not even connected to what you thought it might say. So in John 15, we find out that Jesus is in a conversation. And the conversation begins in John 13 and goes through 14, 15, and 16. It's four chapters of one conversation. So in this particular case, if I want to know the meaning, I probably have to know all four of those chapters, you know, read the whole chapters And then I understand what he's talking about. I can't just take a verse, isolate it, and pull it out. Also, historically, what was happening, this is Jesus' last conversation to them before he gets arrested. So he knows, I'm about to get arrested. You guys are about to be devastated. You guys are about to start thinking, wait a minute. If he's the Messiah, why are they arresting him? If he's the Messiah, how could they kill him? Your world's about to be knocked out from under your feet. You're about to go through the worst experience ever in your life. So come to me to this private place called the upper room, and I'm going to start a conversation with you because this is my last chance to talk to you before I die. And that's the conversation. So we need to know that. So he starts in chapter 13, and it says it was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. The evening meal was being served, and the devil had already prompted Judas, Iscariot, son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. So Jesus is there, and he's saying, I know that God put everything under my power, And that he had come from God, so he knew where he came from, and he was returning to God. So he got up from the mill, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had wrapped around him. So the opposite of what we think. I know I came from God, so I came here for you to serve me. That's what you would maybe think in a worldly mind. And he's saying, I know I came from God. Knowing that I came from God, I took off my outer clothing, put on a towel, and washed their feet. You understand at that time how dirty their feet was, you know, with animals and everything. They wore sandals. And when you went over to someone's house, servants 
would wash your feet. Never, never the owner of the estate or anything like that. They would never wash your feet. It would be a servant's job. So Jesus is blowing their mind. This doesn't make sense. You know, you're washing our feet. Why are you doing this? Um, he came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, Lord, Peter said, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, Peter, you have no part of me. Then Lord Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Then everything, you know, I don't want to not be with you. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean. You are clean, though not every one of you. He's talking about Judas. For Jesus knew who was going to betray him, and that's why he said not every one of you is clean, because Judas was still with him at this point. He's going to leave a little bit later. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you, Jesus asked? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so. For that's what I am. I am the Lord. I am your teacher. But now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, so also you should wash one another's feet. I've set the example that you should do as I have done for you. So his last conversation, this is my last chance to talk to these guys. What's the most important thing I'm going to teach them? To serve one another. Tells you God's heart. Serve one another. You're about to be devastated. You're going to go through shock and grief and confusion about what's happening. And he says, the first thing I want you to notice is serve one another. If you read through the rest of the chapter, he talks about loving one another. She starts his conversation by saying this, you're about to be devastated. I'm going to die. They would say, no, you'll never die. We'll fight to the end for you. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be crucified. He told them, serve one another. And love one another. That's the most important thing that he wanted to say. And then he goes into chapter 14. It's same conversation. In the first 11 verses, he's saying, don't worry, okay? Because when I go to heaven, he's telling them I'm dying. Don't worry. When I go to heaven, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And he's giving them confidence. One day you're going to be in heaven too, is what he's saying to them. I'm preparing a place for you in heaven. He's trying to encourage them. He says then, after that, in verses 12 through 14, he says, don't worry. Even though I'm going to be in heaven, you can pray to me and ask whatever you want, and I'm going to give it to you. So he's saying, I might not be in your presence, but you can still pray to me and still talk to me, and I'm going to give you whatever you need. And then in verse 15 through 25, he's saying, don't worry, I'm about to die. They still don't want to believe it's going to happen. Don't worry, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. The Spirit's going to be in you. He's going to comfort you and guide you and counsel you. So he's just trying to encourage them. Verses 27 to 30, he says, don't worry. The world is going to have tribulations and problems, but I'm giving you a peace that overcomes the world. So you're going to be in this crazy chaos, but don't worry. I'm going to give you a peace in the midst of all the craziness that happens, a peace that only can come from God. What's he trying to do? He's saying, you're about to be shocked. You're about to go through the worst experience in your life. You've dedicated three and a half years of your life saying, this is the Messiah. We'll live for him and we'll die for him. And they're thinking we're going to die with swords in our hand. That's how they think at that time. And when you see me get arrested and you see them crucify me, your world's going to be turned upside down. And he's saying, don't worry. He's just trying to encourage them. And then 
the last verse of 14 says, come now, let's leave this place. So they leave, and now they're walking over to the Garden of Gethsemane. And while he's walking through the vineyards there, that's where chapter 15 goes. But he's still talking to them. There's no break in the conversation. He's still teaching them and talking to them. And that's where we get to chapter 15. And it says, I'm the vine and my father's the gardener. Every branch that stays connected to me, it's going to bear fruit. So he's saying, stick with me. Why is he saying stick with me? Because I'm about to get killed. Everything in you is going to, you're going to be thinking, is it true? If he's really the Messiah, then how do they kill him? He's saying, stick with me. You might not understand what's going on. Stick with me. In John 15, 11, he says, I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Now, you remember that verse that I showed in verse um, 6 before this verse? He's saying, I'm doing this to encourage you and everything. And then all of a sudden, but if you don't remain in me, you're going to hell. I'm telling you this so that you can have great joy. It doesn't fit, does it? It doesn't match the conversation. So you read it in conversation. It doesn't match anything he's doing to encourage them or anything. And he's saying, love each other, serve each other. He talks about heaven and praying and the Holy Spirit and peace and bearing fruits. And, but if you don't remain in me, you're going to hell. It's, it's not what he's talking about. It doesn't match the conversation. So then when you read it in the context and it seems like that doesn't seem to make sense. The second thing, you want to define the key words. You look at it in context. Okay, so we see this as in a conversation of four chapters. Then what are the key words here? What do the words actually mean that have been spoken? Have you ever spoken words, maybe to your husband or wife, and it caused an argument? Dinner was fine. To you, that meant good. To her, it meant, oh, yeah, it was just okay. And now her feelings are hurt. But you use the same word, but you had two different meanings. That's the thing about it. You have to find out what is the meaning within the context of the conversation. You know, words like band. We had a band here today. But band could mean to gather together. It could be a thin strip of binding. It can be a ring of elastic. It depends on the context. Batter. Batter can be what you use, the liquid that you use to make a cake. It could be a baseball player. The batter is coming up. So you have the same exact word, sometimes with the opposite meaning. Like, uh, that song was a bomb, but when he sang it, he bombed. <laughs> exact opposite in the same sentence. So it all depends on the context. So things like this, that word fire, does that mean hell? Or does it mean fire? What does it mean? In John 15, you have the word love this is nine times. In that passage I read, you have the word fruit listed nine times. When I read that, I'm pretty sure I know what love means. But he talks about fruit. He says it's going to bring glory to God, this fruit. I want to bring glory to God. So what does that word mean, that word fruit? People say, oh, it means the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is that what it means? Or is that what people say because it's the most popular verse that they can think of that has the word fruit in it? Well, when you read the Bible, fruit is mentioned 44 times in the New Testament, and it has 10 different meanings. Like, for example, in Matthew 3.8, it says the fruit of repentance. Matthew 29 talks about the fruit of the vine. That's talking about communion wine. In Romans 7.5, it says the fruit for death, and it's talking about a sinful lifestyle. 
In Romans 15, 18, it says, we received this fruit, and he's talking about money that was given to them as a gift. The fruit was money. Then in Galatians 5, 22, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit, the nine things I mentioned earlier. Then in Ephesians 5, 9, it talks about the fruit of life, and it goes on to say the fruit of life is truth, righteousness, and goodness. Colossians 1, 6 says the gospel is bearing fruit and growing. It's talking about new believers. The fruit is the new believers. Then in Hebrews 13, 15, it talks about praise to God, the fruit of our lips. It's talking about from our mouth, we're praising God. That's the fruit it's talking about. So if God is saying we need this fruit in our life, it's going to give us joy. We need this fruit. It's going to bring glory to God. I guess we better find out what that means. And we can't just take the first verse that pops into our mind that has fruit in it and say, that's what it means. It might mean that. It might mean something else. If I want to know the Bible, I want to look at everything. Remember, I talked about last week, we have concordances. You go online, you type in the word fruit, and it will show you on the computer every Bible verse that has the word fruit in it. So you can read it. Use a concordance. I talked about in the old days, you'd have to spend hundreds of dollars to buy concordances and study Bibles and all this type of stuff. Now you go online, it's all free online. So I'm saying anybody can study the Bible. There is no reason for anybody today not to get a good, healthy understanding of the Bible unless we don't know how. And I want us to be the most mature people we can be. That's why I'm showing us how. I'm not satisfied with us being a loving church only. We're a very loving church. I want us to be people that know God and his word. And I want to make sure that we know how to do that. Number three, interpret unclear verses with clear ones. Okay. What is clearly spoken about this fruit? I don't know what the fruit is, but what's clearly spoken about it? In John 15, 4, it says, remain in me and I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Remain means to stay, continue, abide, connect, to last. A branch that's disconnected from a tree can't bear fruit. It has to stay connected. So the first thing I would write down, and I have it in your notes, bearing fruit is produced by remaining in Christ. It's just the most clearest thing there. Start with what's very clear. What's very clear about that is I'm going to bear fruit if I remain in Christ. That's clear. So I don't want to lose faith in Christ. He's telling them this. I'm about to die. Don't lose faith. Remain with me. And if you, and if you remain with me, you're going to bear fruit. Then in John 15, 8, it says, This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So bearing fruit brings glory to God. That's another thing. It's just straightforward in the verse. It's nothing fancy, no secret meanings there, just what's obvious. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. Bearing fruit is produced when I remain in Christ. So whatever this fruit is, if I remain in Christ, it is going to bring glory to God, whatever this fruit is. Then in John 15, 11, it says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. He's telling us this because bearing fruit is going to give us joy. So will give me complete joy. Just obvious, clear cut what the Bible says. So if I remain in Christ, I'm going to bear this fruit, whatever it is. It's going to bring glory to God, whatever this fruit is, and I'm going to be joyful. I want a joyful life, so I want to bear this fruit. So what does it mean? Then, number four, look for the most obvious meaning. What's the most obvious meaning here? And this is the exact opposite 
of what people want to do. And this is why people get messed up when they're interpreting Scripture, is they're looking for that deep, hidden, secret meaning. History Channel, Discovery Channel, the secrets of the Bible. Let me tell you something. There are no secrets in the Bible. Okay? So the Bible isn't written to conceal. It's written to reveal. Okay? There, you know, there are no secrets. There are no hidden meanings in the Bible. It's written so that you can know God. There's no secret formula. There's no secret code. All of that TV stuff is hogwash. You know, the, there's these secret codes in the Bible. You know what they're doing? They're making it up. It's not like that. The meaning of the Bible is usually right in front of you in a clear way if you just read it. Okay? Sometimes you have to look at other passages, like I said. But there's no secret hidden meanings. And what happens is for 2,000 years, everybody's been reading the Bible. They know what it is. But you, out of, you know, 5 billion people that have read the Bible, found a secret meaning. Guess who's wrong? Guess who's wrong? You know, it's not like you're so special that you're going to understand the secret meaning that everybody for 2,000 years, 5 billion people that read the Bible never saw it, only you. Guess who's wrong? Okay, so the meaning of the Bible is before us if we look at it. But we'll do things like this. He was wearing a red scarf. That color red must mean, no, it's just part of the story. You know, we try to make it mean something when it doesn't. Or, and he was on a three-wheeled bike. Three wheels. Oh, three. He's talking about the Trinity. The bike represents the Trinity. No, it's just part of the story. But what we want to do is we want to hear strange things like that and make something out of something that's not even there. Don't try to interpret the details, find out what they mean. What does this branch mean? What does this word fire mean? You find out it doesn't mean hell. And read the historical context. So what you find out what he's saying is this. He's walking with the guys. He's saying uh, a fruit tree, if it has no fruit on it, it's not serving its purpose. So what do you do? And this is exactly what the people did. You cut it down and you use it for firewood. Why firewood is what they used to cook with. At least it has some value, Right? So what he's really trying to say to them is, if you're not bearing fruit, you're missing your purpose in life. There's nothing in it that he's threatening them that they're going to go to hell. It's not, that's, not the, that's not part of the conversation. Okay? He's saying, I'm about to die. Stick with me. Bear fruit, whatever that fruit is. Bear fruit. Don't give up. Stick with me. Because if you don't bear fruit, you lose your purpose. Just like this tree here that's not bearing fruit, what's it good for? It's only good for the fire, meaning it's only good for firewood to cook on. He's not threatening them for hell in the context of this. But people like to read things into things without looking at everything. He's saying, don't lose your purpose. In John 15, 7, it says this. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. Now, do you notice this? This time, remaining in Christ produces answered prayers. Okay, you can write that down. Well, wait a minute. It said, when you remain in Christ, you bear fruit. Now it's saying when you remain in Christ, you get answered prayers. Is that the fruit? Is that the fruit it's talking about? Could be. 
Could be. So we're going to read on a little farther and see what happens. You know, prayer can do anything that God can do. So why ask for small things? Ask for big things. Believe in a big God for big things. Because he said, whatever you wish, it will be given you. And you might ask for things and say, well, I believe in big things. I prayed for this and it didn't happen. As you're asking for big things, if it doesn't happen, it's because God knows best. There's a lot of verses that say that God knows best. I'm not God, but why not ask for something big? Look at John 14, 13. I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. So he says here it's going to bring glory to God. So answered prayer brings glory to God. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. Could that be what the bearing fruit is? Then look at John 16, 24. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. Answered prayer gives me complete joy. Bearing fruit gives me complete joy. All in the same conversation. Okay? What I want us to see here is when you look at just at the conversation together, he, you see that he says the same thing about bearing fruit as he does about answered prayer. So what he's saying is, if you remain in me, the fruit that you're going to see in your life is that your prayers are answered. That's the fruit that you see in your life. Like, what's the fruit that's coming out of my life? I remain in Christ. What's the fruit I'm bearing? My prayers have been answered. What's the fruit that gives me joy? Why do I have so much joy? Because my prayers have been answered. Why is God getting all the glory in heaven for what's happening here? Because of me bearing fruit? Because my prayers are being answered. If you look at the context, just what's obvious there, everything he says about bearing fruit, he says about answered prayer. So to me, it's pretty clear what he's talking about. Remain in Christ and you bear fruit. Remain in Christ, God will answer your prayers. That's the fruit of my faith in Christ. Wouldn't that be a good fruit to have? Like, What's the evidence, because fruit is the evidence in your life, what's the evidence that you're remaining in Christ? God's answering my prayers. What's the fruit? God's answering my prayers. Why is God getting the glory? Because you're bearing fruit? Because God's answering my prayers and he gets the glory. If I just did it all on my own, look at what I did. Who gets the glory? So what's the fruit doing? God gets the glory. Why are you so happy? Why do you have so much joy? Because God answers my prayers. Why do you get so happy? Because you're bearing, what's the fruit that's making you, what's the fruit that's making you so happy? God's answering my prayers. That's what it's really talking about. Is it's, in this particular example, it's talking about your prayers. He says that he goes back and forth, bearing fruit, answer prayer. Bearing fruit, bearing fruit produce, is produced by remaining in Christ. Answered prayer comes from remaining in Christ. Bearing fruit brings glory to God. Answered prayer brings glory to God. Bearing fruit gives me complete joy. Answered prayer gives me complete joy. When you read it, it says the same thing back and forth about both of them. To me, it's pretty obvious that God is saying, Jesus is saying to them, if you remain with me, God's going to get glory and you're going to have joy because of the answered prayers that you're going to see in your life. And it's not something miraculous. I mean, answered prayer can be miraculous. Don't get me wrong. But it's not something, you know, it's not like a hidden secret meaning. It's just word for word what it said. 
Oh, bearing fruit? Oh, same thing. Uh, answered prayer. Bearing fruit? Oh, answered prayer, same thing. Bearing fruit? Oh, answered prayer, same thing. That's how the Bible is. It's, right, it's usually right in front of you, but if you're looking for a hidden secret meaning, you won't, you won't find that because that's too obvious. John 15, 16 says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And then what did he say? Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in prayer. There again. You know, it, it's, it's connecting it to answered uh, prayer. So I put in notes, I bear fruit by asking in prayer. In other words, he's not saying, he, you know, he's not saying go to hell. He's saying rely on prayer. Something totally different. But if you took that verse out at the beginning and just stood it by itself, it looks like he's saying in the middle of his com- conversation, remain in Christ or you're going to hell. But when you read it in context, he's really talking about prayer and bearing fruit. And if you remain in Christ, you're going to bear fruit, which means you're going to have answered prayer. And if you don't remain in Christ, your prayers won't get answered. You don't bear the fruit. And then it's like, that's worthless, right? That's worthless. It's like a tree with no fruit on it. You just use it for cooking wood because it's lost its purpose. You know, there are some verses in the Bible that say you need Jesus or else, you know, but this isn't one of them. Prayer should be our first choice. Sometimes we see prayer as a spare tire. A spare tire is something that you use only when you need it. So people use prayer only when, like, Oh, things are, go- things are really bad now. I think the, our only hope now is prayer. You know, like, oh, you mean it's gotten that bad, so bad that we have to start praying? You know, no. Prayer should be the first thing that you do. It's that you go to God at the beginning. When things are going good, sometimes we don't think that we need prayer, and we forget that we need our Heavenly Father all the time. Now, a Bible study isn't a Bible study unless I do what it says. So Matthew 7.24 says, Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. So I want to practice it. I want to do what it says. There might be a billion people today in churches around the world. There might be a billion people in churches today. And a lot of them go with no intention of doing anything. They don't go with the idea that this is going to change my life. The most important message you ever get from reading the Bible or from hearing a message is How does it change my character? How does it change my behavior? How does it change my attitude? How does it change my life? Am I more loving toward God? Am I more loving toward other people? And this one is saying, where do you need to bear fruit? In your finances, in your marriage, in your health, in your friendship, in your job, in your education, wherever it would be. Or where do I need answered prayer? In your finances, in your marriage, in your health, in your friendships, in your job, in your education. That's what it's talking about. Where do you need your fruit? Where do you need answered prayer? And here's the thing about it is he's saying to them, the overall theme in this four chapters that he's talking to them about is pray, pray, pray. He does talk about serving one another. He does. Loving one another. He talks about the benefits that you're going to get. I'm sending you the Holy Spirit and stuff like this. But the overall theme that he's really saying is pray, pray, pray. Answered prayer will be the evidence of God in your life. Answered prayer. That's going to be the fruit that's on the tree that everybody's going to see. Look at all the answered prayers. 
in this person's life. Pray, pray, pray. So the application for you and I today is, where do I need prayer? Is it my marriage? Where do I need prayer? Is it with my education? Where do I need prayer? And you remain in Christ. You stick with them no matter how you're feeling. Some days you feel close to God. Some days you don't. You stick with them. You pray knowing when he answered the prayer, who's going to get the glory? Thank you, God. I can't believe you answered this. I thought my marriage was over, and you saved it, or whatever the situation is. Answer prayer. God gets the glory. And who gets great joy? You do. You do. That's what God wants to do in your life. So with this, I want us to all take a minute, first of all, and think about, is there anything in my life right now, you personally, that you need to answer prayer in? Is it with schooling? Is it at your job? Is it a family relationship, a friendship relationship? Is there anybody that you need, anything that you need to answer prayer in? I want you to think about that for a minute, and then let's pray. Dear God, each of us have areas of our life that we need to answer prayer in. And Lord, we want to ask you to meet that need, whatever it is, Lord. And we're making a commitment that we're going to remain in you, Lord. We're staying faithful to you. We're trusting you. We're not going to get discouraged and give up. We're going to keep having faith that you can make this happen, that you can bring good out of the situation that I'm in, whether it be my finances or whatever it is, Lord. And Lord, we know that when you answer this prayer, it's going to bring glory to you. We're going to glorify you. Thank you, God, for answering this prayer. And the Lord is going to bring us great joy. And we know these are the things that you want for our life. That's the whole point of what Jesus had been talking about. So we're asking this for our lives as well. And we're making a commitment to you right now to be faithful in our prayer, to not give up, to keep praying and believing and trusting you to make a difference in these areas of our life. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.